All right. And just to maybe a pre-warning here, the youth are going to leave partway through the message, so if you hear some, like, uh, trampling that way, don't worry about it. It's all good. They're getting ready for the lunch. All right. Two people were walking together, and the first one challenged the other. He said, if you are so religious, let's hear you quote the Lord's Prayer. Hmm, bet you ten bucks you can't do it. Well, the second responded, not a problem. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, the first guy, he pulls out his wallet, fishes out a $10 bill, muttering, didn't think you could do it. In case you missed it, that was not the Lord's Prayer. Growing up, uh, I was taught a few different memorized prayers. And before I went to bed, uh, I prayed the same prayer I just shared here. Uh, before every meal, our family would pray some kind of memorized prayer. I'm assuming many of you were taught to pray in a similar way. Uh, these prayers, they were really helpful in, and valuable in learning how to pray and developing good habits of prayer. Now, in a similar way, when I was in high school, uh, we prayed the actual Lord's Prayer, uh, found in Matthew 6, and it was recited every morning over the intercom after the Canadian National Anthem was played. Now, having heard the Lord's Prayer hundreds of times, I could easily recite it, but I rarely, I mean, paid attention to the words that were being said, and I only really understood part of it. Already, in some ways, it's amazing how much we can hear or say something uh, without really paying attention, or worse, allowing it to penetrate our hearts and our minds. For example, uh, this story illustrates this well. I think I shared this story like 15 years ago, so if you happen to remember this, well done. Shortly after Paige and I were married, we were getting used to living together and all the, the stuff that goes with that, uh, specifically some of these household chores like doing the dishes, general housework, and, and of course the laundry. Now after spending a few years in college living on my own, uh, I knew the basics of doing laundry. Uh, however, one day, uh, as I was watching Hockey Night in Canada, Paige comes up to me and she informs me that she'll be leaving for the evening to visit some friends, and she asked me if I would fold the laundry once it finishes. Sure. I must have been pretty into the game, though, because I replied with something like, uh, laundry, yep, sure, I'll take care of it, love you, have a good evening. Well, a commercial break comes on, and I remember the first part. I, I ran over to the laundry area, I grabbed the basket, I bring it over uh, to settle in for the next part of the game. Now, keep in mind, this is well before the time of the PVR where you could pause live TV. And so as the game continued, I began the folding, and I remember I paused partway through the folding thinking something didn't quite seem right. But I couldn't really put a finger on it. Oh well, back to the mindless folding as I was watching the game. Ten minutes later, the folding was complete. I slid the basket over and settled in for the rest of the period. Well, a little while later, Paige came home and asked, did you finish the laundry? You bet. Right over there. So Paige goes to a different area of the house. She came back a little while later with a rather puzzled look on her face. She said, the clothes are still in the dryer. I thought you said you folded it. Well, I looked at the basket, looked at the TV, looked at my hands. Oh, no. I just folded all the dirty laundry. 
And unfortunately, we're not talking about the towels and jeans. Now, I guess, sure, I did the task that I was supposed to do, kind of, uh, but I was so distracted by other things uh, that I kind of missed the, the big point of the task. All it did was make for some easy loading into the washing machine. And it can be a little bit like that with prayer in a way. See, we can say the words, uh, we can continue the routine, but do we capture the heart and the focus of it? Right? Therefore, the question that I want to explore on this topic of prayer is what is the heart of prayer? Right? The centrality, the, the purpose of prayer. Why did Jesus pray? Now, over the past couple of months, uh, we've been exploring this, this theme of discipleship, disciple-making in the Gospel of Luke. And we've seen now in the early chapters how Jesus has called his disciples to follow him and how these disciples uh, left everything to do just that, right, to follow him. Now, we looked at some of Jesus' teachings, some of his miracles, and throughout this whole time, the disciples, they've been uh, watching, they've been learning in chapter 9, and then again in chapter 10, we saw how Jesus sent his disciples out to go preach the good news of God's kingdom on their own. So after all these experiences, the hard lessons they have learned, uh, the mission trips they've been on, we come to this section in Luke chapter 11. Verse 1. Well, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, it's interesting, throughout the Gospels, the disciples, they call Jesus rabbi, which means teacher. Yet, it is intriguing that only once in the Gospels do the disciples specifically ask Jesus to teach them something. Now, why do you think the disciples asked Jesus to specifically teach them this one thing? And the answer well, they noticed that Jesus prayed often. Luke 5, verse 16 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And Luke records at least seven different times that Jesus spent time praying, and always before significant moments in his life and ministry. So at his baptism, uh, before choosing his disciples, at the transfiguration, before the, his crucifixion, prayer was important to Jesus. A prayer was a priority to Jesus. And the very fact that Jesus, the Son of God, had to pray so much while on earth is evidence enough that we need to pray. And notice the request. The request was not, teach us a prayer. The request was, teach us to pray. In other words, not a prayer to recite but a pattern of prayer. Verses 2 to 4. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, the first thing you will notice in Luke's account here, is that it is different than, than your more familiar version in Matthew chapter 6. See, Matthew's version is the one we typically recite. And the very fact that Luke's version is different should tell us 
that Jesus did not give us this prayer simply to be something we recite. And while there is nothing wrong with reciting it, in fact, it's good to recite it, Jesus intended it to be so much more than that. He intended it to be a pattern to guide us in prayer, right? to teach us how to pray. And so Jesus, he opens with, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now with this opening, Jesus is teaching us that at the very heart of prayer is God's glory. And so prayer begins with this recognition of who our God is. He is holy. He is almighty. But this is an expression of worship and a reminder that the one that we are sharing our requests with is greater than any physical adversary, greater than our spiritual enemy, greater than any of our problems. Secondly, your kingdom come is this reminder that what we are pursuing, or what we are coming to God for, is not for our own ego, not for our own greatness, or for our own will to be done. We are not trying to leverage God for our own prideful pursuits. So like I mentioned last week, this is a prayer of alignment. So prayer, the way God intends it, is designed to align our will, our desires, our heart with God's. So praying God's will to be done helps us get on the same line with God. This is God's world. We are his people. We've been sent on his mission for his good purposes that will ultimately end in his eternal will. His will be done. Now to illustrate this, imagine you were working at a, a non-profit company and their mission is to provide clean drinking water for people around the world that don't have it. Now it's obvious to you that the owner is really passionate about having clean water for people to drink. He often talks about the trips that he's gone on to these locations, the lives that have been saved through clean water. And after a while, you begin, though, to like, kind of ignore the mission statement, and you, you tune the owner out a bit. And one day, as you sit back in your chair and you, you drink your favorite flavored sugar drink, you think to yourself, ooh, I got an idea. I can make, a, make the company a lot of money. And maybe land myself a promotion at the same time. We could make our own sugary drink. We could sell it right here in our own country. Hmm, something that tastes a lot better than water. Now, thinking this is the greatest idea since sliced bread, you walk into the owner's office, and you boldly pitch this idea with this request for a sizable uh, budget. Now, what do you think the response would be? A short answer, no. <laughs> no. Th this is so far outside the mission and the will of the owner. Likewise, when it comes to prayer, what we need to remember is that God's glory and God's will take precedence over all else. Prayer that is primarily about getting what we want misses the point. That being said, God is our creator, and he knows us, he knows our needs, right? He welcomes and he invites us to bring them before his throne of grace. And so, Jesus, he models 
three types of requests that he invites us to bring to the Lord in prayer. Right? Requests that are in alignment with God, the will of God. And so the first one is for daily bread. Right? For our physical needs today. Now bread, food, is the most obvious and tangible of all of our needs. Right? It's the first need that we notice. And this daily bread request that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for, it, it points back to the manna that God gave the people during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so if you remember the story, each day the Israelite people were instructed to collect what they needed for that day. Right? They were not supposed to store up extra for the whole week because God would provide. And in this way, God was teaching the people to trust in him. And this request should humble and remind us that it is God who provides. Right? Both to both what we need, but also the ability to work and earn a living. The second request that Jesus teaches us to pray is for forgiveness. And along with forgiveness includes all of our spiritual needs. Right? The power of forgiveness God forgiving us and us forgiving others is probably the topic that I have preached the most on during my time here at SCMC. Forgiveness is so crucial to living in right relationship with God and with others. And the reason is because we have this, this propensity to sin. right? To try to live our own way rather than God's way. And we have this tendency to hurt others. And it's really difficult, if not impossible, to grow in relationship with someone when you are actively rebelling against them. So at the very heart of prayer is relationship with God. And in order to be in right relationship with God, we need the forgiveness that he offers. And so he invites us to confess then your sin and to receive that forgiveness that God offers. But here's a piece that comes with receiving the forgiveness of God. God calls us to forgive those who have hurt us or have sinned against us. We are called to extend that forgiveness, that reconciliation to others. Thirdly, Jesus teaches us to pray for protection against temptation, for the power to live uh, rightly, now, a few weeks ago, I, I preached on uh, the spiritual armor of God. And I talked about how God has given us spiritual armor and spiritual weapons for the spiritual battles that we face, right? for those times when we face temptation in our lives. And this is a prayer request that God would protect them from the temptations that seek to lead us away from him. And this is, again, in line with what Jesus teaches us to pray. And so in summary... God invites us to pray about everything, right? Our daily needs, our relationships, the temptations we face, uh, the stuff going on in our minds, uh, the stuff going on around the world. Prayer is the most powerful, effective, and life-changing way to wrestle with the difficult circumstances that we experience, both in our lives and around the world. So, for example... Do you know what the alternative to prayer is? Like, what do people tend to do rather than pray about something? They worry. 
They complain. They're given over to fear. Or they work and work and attempt to try to fix the problem on their own. Often in futility. For example, uh, what happens when you complain about the government to your friends? Hmm. Well, you get kind of angry and you get kind of bitter. What happens, though, when you pray and talk to God about the government? Well, you begin to grow in distaste for evil, you hunger for righteousness, and you grow hungry for more of God's kingdom, for his ways, for his rule. What happens when you talk about all the wars and the evil things that are going on in the world? Well, you begin to feel defeated and discouraged and hopeless. But what happens when you pray and you talk to God about all the wars and the evil things going on around the world? Well, you begin to see the beauty of God's ways, even his laws. You grow a deeper longing for justice, and you begin to long for his return. What happens when you think and fume about the unfair uh, or inappropriate way that your coworker or friend or family member treated you? Well, you become increasingly angry. Uh, you begin to fantasize about the things that you would like to say to that person, uh, and you allow bitterness to take root. But what happens when you talk to God about these situations in prayer? God does something miraculous in your life. He begins to lead you toward forgiveness and reconciliation, and he empowers you to act with Christ-likeness. What happens when you give your attention to the temptations around you? Right? All the stuff that you can buy, uh, the pleasures that you can enjoy, and so on. All these temptations, they lead to shame. They lead to selfish living. They lead to further discouragement. But what happens when you turn your attention to God and you talk to Him and, and confess the temptations that are pulling you around? Well, God begins to show you a way out of those temptations. And he gives you a longing for righteousness. And he shows you a better way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, turn your attention to him. There are so much more I could say about these requests that Jesus taught us to pray, but there's a lot more uh, in this teaching on prayer that I want to get to. But before we get to this parable that Jesus teaches us, I want to highlight one more significant part of this prayer that I glanced over at the beginning. And I wanted to say this part for last because this is, this is the emphasis of where this whole passage is going. See, notice how Jesus teaches his disciples to address the Almighty God in prayer. Father. Father. Gary Inrich said, bound up in this simple address, Father, is the heart of all that the Lord Jesus came to do. You see, Old Testament believers, they were never said to address God in this way. Jewish prayers, they began with, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or God Most High, or, or Creator of Heaven and Earth. But because of what Jesus came to do through His life, death, and resurrection, 
we have been reconciled to God, and therefore God invites us to approach Him and address Him in such a deep and personal way. Father. See, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, He did so much more than pay the penalty for our sins. And while that is mind-blowing enough, through faith in Christ, God, God welcomes us into His eternal family. He welcomes us as children of God, complete with belonging, with acceptance, with right standing, and an inheritance that will never spoil our faith. An inheritance designated for his children. And this leads us to the parable that Jesus uses to teach us about our Heavenly Father. This is verses 5 to 13. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend... And you go to him at midnight and you say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The doors are already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up to give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now in this parable we find a a desperate person looking for some bread to feed their hungry friend after a long journey. Now hospitality in the first century was a supreme value. It's midnight, the markets are closed. Out of desperation, this person asks their neighbor who is already long in bed, likely with kids in the same one room of this house and Jesus tells us that the neighbor doesn't really want to help but will do so purely because of how desperate his neighbor is right their shameless audacity as the text says now Jesus he's not comparing our heavenly father to this neighbor who doesn't want to help the opposite in fact This is a contrast of the posture toward the person who asks. Even a sleepy neighbor will help in a time of need. But, and this is what is so mind-blowing about what Jesus is teaching us about prayer. Jesus is teaching his disciples that we are not merely friends or neighbors. We are God's children. And therefore, how much more will your Heavenly Father listen and help you in your time of need. Therefore, boldly ask, bring your requests to our perfect, almighty, loving, heavenly Father. For he desires to hear you and to help you. And so Jesus, he uses the same kind of argument in verses 11 to 13. Right? For human fathers, even though they are flawed and sinful, they desire to give good things to their children. How much more does your perfect heavenly father desire to give good things to his children? 
Therefore, ask. Pray. This is what Jesus invites us to do in the verses sandwiched between these two illustrations. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now, does this mean that I receive whatever I ask for? Well, if that's the case, then this promise has proven to be untrue. I'm sure all of us can describe some kind of unanswered prayers, some of which oh, we're probably thankful about in hindsight. But using this example of earthly parents and children, think about some of the requests and pleas that our children make or that you made as a child. Now, for example, if a child begs their parents to eat candy for supper, any kids thinking that? Well, a loving parent will not give them what they ask for. Rather, they will provide their child with something nutritious and good for them. Likewise, if a child begs and pleads for endless hours of video games or screen time, right, a loving parent will not give their child what is not good for them. Rather, a loving parent will invite their child to play a game or some activity or maybe even do some chores. Those are good for them too. Something that is more relational, something that is good for them. And in verse 13, Jesus tells us about the most precious gift that the Father gives his children, the Holy Spirit. There is no gift of more value than the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Right? His presence is worth more than all the stuff he provides. For example, if you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, would you rather walk alone with all the weapons and, that you can have and a flashlight or with the most powerful one who dearly loves you? Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor who guides us, teaches us, convicts and empowers us to live as children of God in this world. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so in your darkest and most difficult times, when all you can do is to cry or to groan, the Spirit knows your heart and is interceding for you. There is one more significant truth found in these verses I want to highlight. Because God is your Heavenly Father, Jesus teaches us that we have been given access to the throne of God. God invites us with open arms. Do you remember in the book of Esther how fearful Esther was to bring her request to King Xerxes even though she was the queen? You see, no one was allowed to enter the presence of the king unless he or she was invited under threat of death. Access was limited. In a similar way, from a human perspective, like think about what it takes, in, takes to get in to see the prime minister of our country. Right, the, the truth is only people who merit his time or attention or are invited are allowed in. They must have credentials, accomplishments, perhaps a power base of their own. However, if you were one of his children, 
I trust it is different. You have his personal phone number. You can enter his office much more freely. Or in that same kind of way, because of what Christ has done for us, we are invited into the presence of God as his children. And therefore, I encourage you, don't get caught in a pattern of, of mindlessly reciting a bunch of words in prayer. Be captured by this incredible reality of who you are praying to. As a follower of Jesus, the most amazing thing about prayer, right, the very heart of prayer is the one to whom we are praying. Don't miss that. Prayer is communicating with the almighty God whom Jesus tells us is so much more than that. He is your heavenly father. In Christ, you are his child and he loves you. He desires what is good for you and he invites you into his presence. And what is so profound and powerful about praying to our heavenly father is that as we pray, as we grow in relationship with God, our heavenly father transforms our, de transforms our desires to align with his. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We thank you, Father, for welcoming us as your children. We thank you for all that you have done for us and how you have, all you have given us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would give all of us just this deep longing to be near you in prayer and transform us, our will, our hearts, to align with you for your glory and for your name. Amen.